0: If we are proactive, we can shape the future, right? More than people think. The future exists in multiple stages at once. There isn't a set defined future. futures. There's a lot of different potential futures that are currently existing.
1: Welcome to The Convergence, the Army's Mad Scientist podcast. I'm Matt Sandisbert of the Mad Scientist team, and I'll be joined in just a moment by Luke Shabro, Deputy Director of Mad Scientist. Mad Scientist is a US Army initiative that continually explores the future of warfare, challenges assumptions, and collaborates with academia, industry, and government. You can connect with us through Twitter at Army MadSci and don't forget to subscribe to the blog, the Mad Scientist Laboratory, at MadSciBlog.Tradoc.Army.Mil. On today's episode, we're talking with Grant Rafter, Chief of Foresight for the Air Force Futures. We'll be talking with Grant about the value of foresight, the newly released Air Force Global Futures Report and the potential operational environments the Joint Force needs to prepare for. As a special note, please stick around after the interview for details on how you can participate in the Air Force Global Futures Report Vignette Writing Contest. As always, the views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Department of Defense, Department of the Army, Department of the Air Force, Army Futures Command, Air Force Futures, or the Training and Doctrine Command. Let's get started. Grant, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Hey, thank you all for having me. Really appreciate being here. We appreciate having you. So let's get started real quick. Why don't you give us your introduction of who you are and a little bit of background about yourself and Air Force Futures?
0: Yeah, sure. So I'm an attorney by training. Um, Decided to go on to get a master's in public policy and really focusing in on organizational change management issues. You know, How do we create long-lasting change. and Within that field, when I came into working in the government, I got pulled into kind of tangentially into foresight efforts and futures and foresight. And then from there, it's really kind of taken over uh, the bulk of my career. And I joined Air Force Futures about two years ago and the chief of their uh, foresight branch.
2: Well, that's fantastic. And Grant, I should have known you, you dress like a lawyer. So uh, that makes a lot more sense now. Um, I uh... have
0: enough starch on your shirt that's they're called prosecutorial whites, right? That's the,
2: um, yeah. And, uh, I, I definitely recognize as well with, uh, not getting into the futures game or foresight game by intention. Um, but it's a fantastic place to be. So from your perspective, why do we need futurists and futures organizations? Don't we have enough problems in the present?
0: Uh, We got plenty of problems in the present, but there's the, there's the tyranny of the now, right? Uh, so the, the key here for us is it's is the classic foresight answer. It's it's the VUCA environment, so it's volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous, and as those trends are increasing, as they are, right, complexity is is currently increasing, uncertainty is increasing. We've seen huge demand for foresight across the community, kind of post COVID. That's where foresight really works well, right? Is in uncertainty because that's when you need to look for different options, right? Your linear projection of what you think will happen becomes less and less certain and that timeline gets shorter and shorter where you have some certainty. So you need different toolkits and foresight is one of those toolkits as a a manager that you can use to say, okay, this we need to explore the future, the alternatives that are out there, use some scenarios, planning, other foresight exercises to really see what's in the realm of the, the plausible and then uh, create actions from there, especially as we don't know what is going to
1: happen. I think you're spot on. Uh, I taught a foresight class uh, a few months ago to the Armament Center, and that was the one thing I tried to hammer home was this kind of you know, foresight as a methodology, um, as a discipline kind of came out of the Cold War when there was tons of uncertainty. And this was our way to try to figure out what the best path forward was in the face of all that uncertainty. So I'm with you hundred percent.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's Herman Kahn, right? So that's over at Herman Kahn at Rand Corporation and Hudson Institute later on. So that's, uh, it's key here is to have, you know a means and a methodology to kind of systematically explore what's in the realm of the plausible moving forward. So and the whole key here is to to obviate or avoid surprise. That's the that's the key thing that we look out for in, in in Air Force Futures. That's one of our major tenants, especially in the in the skunk works over here.
1: Exactly. So you guys released the Air Force Global Futures Report. Uh can you tell us a little bit about that? You know, what was the impetus behind it? Uh what did you find?
0: Absolutely. So I'll start with just a quick overview of the report and then get into uh why we why we developed it. So the the it's the 2023 Air Force Global Futures Report, available on AF.mil. You can go there. It is we built the whole thing unclassified, it is released. Uh, anyone listening to this podcast can go and download it. In the analysis, what we did with the 2023 Global Futures Report was to look at the joint functions, right? So joint publication 3.0 uh, for for war fighting, really. What do we need uh, to do to prosecute a war? And what we had in the report is we took, created four alternative futures using a So for foresight methodologists, an archetypical method, we use the Manoa school method. Uh, For other people, basically, we divided the world into four different futures. One is a continued growth version of the future. Another is a transformational version of the future. So what if we drop a lot of what we're doing and completely transform, hop onto a different curve? There's also a constraint, so if there's a lot of competition, because this constrained or disciplined idea, there's a lot of constraints in the system. How do you operate in that future? And then the other one is a collapse version of the future. So if the trends, major trends start to drop off, what does that look like? One of the keys always here, caveats for collapse future, we want to mention is it's non-normative, so it's neither good nor bad. There's collapses that can be very good to a system. It's good that certain systems collapse, other systems. Uh, when they collapse can cause a lot of chaos as well. So then a lot of room for reorganization. So those are the four overarching features. Within those features, we conducted uh, exercises to look at the joint functions within each one of those. And the impetus for creating the report is that there is no accurate way to predict the future, given the long horizons uh, and the, the score of intervening events that are possible. So instead, with this report, provides is an analytic assessment, right, of potential future operating environments and through comparative analysis raises key issues for further research. So we use those four lenses that I mentioned, transformational, continued growth, constrained and collapse uh, for the Air Force to examine these joint functions and demonstrate how emerging trends and signals and forces may impact uh, the Air Force and the DoD at large. So the, the whole mission set.
2: No, I think that's fantastic, Grant. And I know um, I always think about the quote, uh, he who lives by the crystal ball soon learns to eat ground glass. And we're really not looking at predicting the future. We want to look at variable futures. Um, You've participated in a number of other areas that we've worked with, Secret Service and um, uh, Department of Homeland Security and the Federal Foresight Community of Interest, where what we're trying to do is plan out scenarios and understand. um, And as at MadSci, we always say, we're not trying to predict the future. We're trying to describe the future operational environment. What are some of those characteristics? And so I think... um, really just love the approach you all have used. What was the thought process behind using the methodology that, that you talked about? Um, and what was the importance of using those joint warfighting functions really as a framework? And I'm a big fan of those. Um, so I'd love to hear kind of the thought process behind that. So
0: the reason we select the joint functions is because we have no interest in making shelfware. So the key here is that the work we do must be relevant and useful to the force, not just the Air Force, we were looking more broadly because we needed to make sure that we were inclusive of different stakeholders about where we can use this report to help the joint force as well as the Air Force and help address some uh, some integration and other issues that we were looking at. So the joint functions are cross-cutting right across the Air Force and the DoD enterprise and even beyond that. So we believe that this would be the, the best lens to ensure relevance and utility for the report. One of the keys here is we, we adopted some modified foresight methodologies, and we were able to condense the inputs of hundreds of SMEs into sensibly it's a, I think 32 pages of really the meat of the report. And that was its own feed. We brought in folks from across the U.S. government, from academia, allies and partners uh, were intimately involved in, in the building of these future operating environments and also folks from the joint force. We're really pleased to have that diversity of thought and to bring in those ideas into the report to make sure that we were able to create some future operating environments that made sense for folks that they could see themselves in.
2: No, Grant, I think that's a really great point because um, building, you know, as as the two of us, Matt and I have worked on a number of reports like this, uh, in that same vein, I think if you make it purely about, um, speculative futures and that's all it is, it's exactly what you said. It becomes that, uh, shelf flash to be able to show, um, but not something that's nearly as applicable or useful. Um, and that's why I love the approach because this is what the DOD has to do. It's described in, as you said, joint pub, uh, three dash there. So I think that approach allows us to be more practical and actually use these things and make it more applicable so uh really commend you all on on that approach
0: and then another reason why we why we selected the approach and also the why we selected four futures to your point earlier is we the the future as far as as we're looking at it it exists in multiple stages at once there isn't a set to find futures there's a lot of different potential futures that are currently existing. That's kind of the theory behind the approach. And in that idea that there are multiple futures that currently exist, we're just trying to figure out what are the edges of these potential plausible futures to give the force some left and right bounds to say, okay, this is a pretty extreme version over here. Here's another uh, version of what the future may look like over here. And the other reason why we pick you know, four futures is to force people into that idea of thinking, or at least get them aligned to that idea of thinking, because if you have one future, that's what we're trying to obviate against, right? You have two futures; it's a false choice. Three futures is the Goldilocks problem, you know. Uh, uh, you know, pick the middle one; that's clearly the right one. These are the other two, of the outliers, and so we pick four because that's the lowest number when you actually are able to say, okay, these are all plausible alternatives. Uh, I don't like them. They're all very challenging. And the way we designed it was to make each one of these scenarios particularly challenging. We really tried to push them Uh, the way we designed the methodology through our workshops and working groups was to try to get kind of the edge of what a continued growth scenario looks like. What are the difficult challenges there? And then from that, by laying down the challenges we can then look for those opportunities in these areas, right? How do we advance? How do we move forward? And that gets handed off to other folks to really look at. So this is kind of the the first level. It's a first step in the diagnostic. And then this gets pushed out throughout Air Force and other places as part of our our
1: work processes. I think that makes a lot of sense. So we've gone over the framework. We've gone over kind of the methodology of the report. What were some of the most important implications that you guys found?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the the implications that we found are kind of very broad ranging. Uh, the report is a diagnostic tool, but you know we'd be remiss if we didn't provide some key takeaways for for folks to look at. So, a series of group of trends that really made a difference. There's there's six in the report, but I'm just gonna let me just pull out three here that I think are are of note. And I'm gonna speak in very broad terms. You got to get into the report to pull out the details. So the first one are just everything, all the trends that come together around transformational aspects of computing right so this is the the scope the scale the speed of compute whether that's that's quantum that's artificial intelligence and machine learning it's all of this capacity in in compute and the transformational aspects of that so for artificial intelligence that's agi artificial general intelligence that's that transformational version of that and so when those combined and converge in new and unique ways, we really start to see some, some effects that we need to pay attention to as a force. The second one I'll bring up right here is trends that align to this idea we're calling myth of sanctuary. So uh, the idea that you are not safe uh, wherever you are, that idea that there is not a sanctuary to come back to. So we have, we've seen this, uh, trends that align this, so advances in, in cyber, right? Um, biological threats, so we saw, saw with COVID, hypersonics, um, plausible weaponization of space, weakness of civilian infrastructure. We have all these different these trend lines uh, that could come together in a way that the time to act is reduced and the speed of distance to strike uh, increases. So there's, there's a series of trend lines there where we really need to rethink or think through very carefully what it means to have sanctuary. Uh, we've had the oceans that have protected us for a very long time. Um, but that is decreasing, right. Distance is no longer always going to be as protective as it was. The last one I want to hit on here is economic interconnectedness. So we actually have two big questions in here. We have we, we saw trend lines for both globalization and deglobalization, right? And the key to that is, you know we don't think like you know, I'm not going to use any likelihoods because we're not doing probability here, but the idea that the future, uh, would be fully in, increased globalization, or the question is to what degree and in what areas, right? So where will de-globalization occur? Where will increased globalization occur? Where will these interconnections happen? Where will things splinter and how will they splinter and in what industries and what areas? Right, so that's a really key way to start thinking about that potential for fragmentation of our, uh, for example, of supply chains, of how we start thinking about other types of institutions, how we start thinking about those systems. And the key to all of this really is that the report is intended to be a starting point for analysis, not the end. So we have a lot more information that's in the report, but the report I think really gets to the, the crux of highlighting these issues for everyone to start thinking about, or at least tries to put a, uh, a circle around a group of trends and say, hey, this group of trends, this cluster of trends, there's something here that needs further examination. We need to dig into this more. We need to look at this harder and open this up to the community to explore.
2: No, absolutely. And those are fantastic. And there's actually more behind that. So again, encourage everybody to go read the report. Um, really fantastic work. Were there any implications or really kind of anything throughout the analytic process that kind of surprised you?
0: Yeah. So the, the biggest surprise we had was, um, that our methodology worked in creating these four features. That was one of the big breakthroughs we had where we broke folks into uh, for the joint functions we ran workshops and working groups. And so there's seven joint functions we took intelligence information to combine them into one because you can't talk about intelligence without talking about information. So when we examined those futures and we each one of these we created four alternative scenarios and then the global futures report combines all those imp, uh, outputs from the from the workshops together. The big surprise is the combination of the outputs was relatively seamless. So there, we were able to take the transformational version of fires and the transformational movement of sustainment, combine them together, and they they meshed. They worked. The global aspects worked. And if you read the report, you can see that right. Um, and then underneath the parts that are really unique to a joint function are also listed out. So if there's something particular in the transformation of move and maneuver. That, uh, that we wanted to highlight, that's called out in the report uh, in the section below the the kind of overarching global environment of that particular future. But unsurprisingly, each of the four's futures was very different from each other, right? And that's clearly by design. That's what we did by creating these kind of poles or using this archetypal method. It really pushes those alternative futures into different areas.
1: So you mentioned, uh, you know, you didn't want this report to be shelfware, you wanted it to be usable, you wanted it to be a, a resource that people could go back to. So what opportunities and actionable implications are there for the Air Force and the wider DOD to pursue based on the report? I mean, what what can we start working on now?
0: Yeah. So the report is designed for for planners to really obviate surprise. I think that's the big takeaway from what we're, we're looking at in Lieutenant General High Notes um, opener to the report uh, states that, I think, in, in very clear, clear language. Um, It also allows us to test our concepts uh, uh, against different worlds. So how does your idea or your concepts work in a transformational world? How do they work if that's disrupted in a collapse world? Is it your concept disrupted in a collapse world? And so that helps uh, folks who are conducting planning to think through their ideas and to test them out in different future operating environments, different plausible future operating environments, and try to find weaknesses or opportunities in their concepts. We are not idle players in the future. I think that's another big takeaway. Some of it is in our control. And if we are proactive, we can shape the future, right? More than people think. That's one of the big opportunities for us, is that we have a shaping function in the future, right? So this report helps us to uncover blind spots and allows those creating policies to think about potential long-term effects of their policies, thinking of the first order, second order, Um, Tertiary effects of what they're doing and what they're building and how they may converge in new and unique and strange ways.
2: I love that grant. And uh, we've talked with uh, Dr. Jake Sateriadis who's over at the uh, national intelligence university future center. And the same message came out before about that of the best way for us to determine the best likely future is to shape that future. So I really appreciate that approach. Um, You know, really from an air force perspective, what do you think the wider DOD and maybe especially the army is maybe not thinking about enough or where could we be missing some emphasis or effort?
0: Yeah. So I know, I know Jake, well, he was actually uh, my predecessor in, in this role as uh, chief of foresight for the air force. So, uh, and concur with him on, on, on all of that. So the big issue that I would, I would bring up, and you just had, uh, and uh, loved the discussion you had with Dr. James Giordano and uh, Dr. Cantor about cognition and about neurobiology and those intersections. And I think the key takeaway, what I'm really been working on, kind of on some side projects and some thesis work, is the idea of the human operating system is malleable, right? Due to modern technologies, modern technologies are reaching a point where we have a lot more malleability in both the hardware and the software of the human operating system. So. Dr. Giordano talked about cognition and AI, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and that's really the, the software of how we think, how we make decisions, how we go through that work. There's also the questions of synthetic biology, of gene editing. That's the hardware of our systems, right? And COVID-19 vaccine is an example of synthetic biology. right? So we've seen some really amazing promises there of the utility of that for enhancement and for health effects. But when you start to combine these together, right? How we can start changing these systems? There's a new space that's opening up, and we're starting to hit that point. You know, synthetic biology isn't new; it's been around since the 1970s. The Cambridge, Massachusetts town council had a meeting on synthetic biology for professors working, I think, at either MIT or Harvard or, or both, who are in this field. And they said, "Hey, <laughs> we—this is this is scary, terrifying stuff." And every, they were kind of poo-pooed as saying, you know, we're not at that level yet. It's 2023 now. And if we're looking over the next 15 to 20 years, especially with the advent of artificial intelligence and, you know, to the point on the, on the prior podcast, how that augments neuroscience and how that augments our studies of those and our ability to operate and create large models, we are getting close to a point where this whole area is opening up and we need to pay closer attention to it. So when we're talking about this idea of a new cluster or something coming down the line, uh, maybe some technologies would be helpful. So if we take, for example, five technologies, synthetic biology and gene editing, Brain-computer interfaces, sensor ubiquity, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and human-machine teaming, and we start doing an exercise to look at the intersections of these. That you, you get some really interesting takeaways. You start thinking about, you know, with human-machine teaming and synthetic biology, you have an intersection of precision procedures and cybernetic medical enhancements—the ability to do, you know, microsurgeries at a, at a really deep level, and much better than surgeons can. With brain-computer interface, you've got the ability to create anti-rejection for uh, an implant, right? If you have a BCI implant versus a non-implantable one, you've also got potential for, you know, bio-interface and biocomputing. If you start getting into human machine teaming and the brain-computer interface, you've got the control of computers with machines with thoughts. So we've seen this, right? We've seen this uh, with people who have severe nerve damage controlling uh, a screen or a mouse on a screen with their thoughts. And as you start exploring the rest of this, um, you get into this idea of a rapid exploration and creation of novel biological agents when you look at synthetic biology and artificial intelligence and machine learning. And there's a link here between big data and biological systems for interventions, right? When you start thinking about human machine teaming and sensor ubiquity, you've got this idea of full environmental awareness. What does the environment look like? Um, there's questions as well here on human thought patterns, the ability to code them when you look at artificial intelligence and brain-computer interfaces. So if that paints a picture of something, right, of some idea here where the human operating system, both the software and the hardware, can be connected in a new space. I think this really links well back to, so if you listen to this after the uh, Giordano interview... I think that there's there's a there there. And what we need to think about from the Department of De- Defense perspective is to think about how do we work in that space? The questions can become, how do we address this? And there's a lot of different ways to ensure that we're addressing this appropriately and making sure that this is not taken and used in bad ways and that we are able to protect against Uh, use cases to protect ourselves and protect our force against uh, nefarious uses, and also make sure that we understand what this means as a game changer, potentially for the force. So there's a there there, we need to define it, we need to work it out a little bit more. And I think that's kind of one of the big takeaways we're thinking about. Uh, from the report itself,
2: I think that makes absolute sense. And uh, you're talking a lot about the convergence of a lot of different trends, uh, and sounds like somebody should make a podcast in that name.
0: Yeah, if only there was some type of podcast that really wanted to get people to talk about how things interlinked. Uh, Luke, if, Matt, if you guys would think you could uh, come up with that, let me know.
1: We'll see what we can do. I like that idea, Grant. <laughs> All right, so that, hey, that that was great stuff. Um, we're going to transition from our big questions now to our rapid fire questions. We ask these to every guest. They're always the same. Let's start with the first one here. What's a technology or trend that keeps you up at night?
0: Yeah, so I'm just going to double down and say the human operating system, uh, the vulnerabilities and malleabilities in that. Um, I've said this as a potential for a domain before. Luke's heard heard me out on those arguments. Um, It doesn't have to be a domain at all, uh, but we need a way to orient around it. We need a way to reframe it, the dimension of cognition and information and cyber, how these things are the domain of cyber, how these things link together. Uh, The way that we frame that doesn't seem to be doing what we need it to do to create the effects and to address the problems that might be coming down the road. So, as we think of the cognition, human, and information dimensions, we should think about consolidating them around a kind of a central idea about what makes us human, our biology, about the ability to think. And th- there's a there, there. And that's what's keeping me up as I was trying to think through that a little bit more, how the Department of Defense needs to and the Air Force needs to start thinking about
1: that space. That's a great answer. And, and, and if you can't make it into a domain, a dimension is the way to go. That's how you do it. So second question, what's something about you that most people might not know that you're willing to share on air?
0: Well, um, I would say doing interviews isn't my, my favorite thing to do but I, I prefer the analysis side, but I really appreciate you guys making this uh, so nice and pleasant. So um, other than that, uh, I'm a musician. I like to uh, play some drums and guitar and some other stuff as well. So that's a moderately interesting fact.
1: We're going to recruit you into the mad scientist band. Cause uh, Dr. Giordano plays um, jazz piano. Uh, Dr. Canton plays drums as well. So I play drums. So with you, we've got three drummers, which I don't think has ever been done before. So I think that's our niche. That's how we get into the mainstream.
0: Perfect. I'm in, let me know what I can do to help. Uh, We'll we'll write you guys a new convergence theme song for the podcast.
1: All right, Grant. So last question here, um, often regarded as the toughest question we ask, what is your favorite movie?
0: So my favorite movie, uh, I can't give you my favorite right off, but I can give you a few that I think are really good for foresight practitioners and folks to, to think through. Um, so if I can, just I'll tease it. it's a hard question. I'm gonna sidestep it a little. I say required watching clearly is always Doctor Strangelove uh, for any Foresight practitioner. But what I would say here, I think the best, one of the best Foresight movies is actually Demolition Man, with the the Sylvester Stallone, Wesley Snipes, Sandra Bullock vehicle from from the 90s. They did a really good job with that of taking current trends and extrapolating them to the future without getting too Overly futuristic. It has a lot of the stuff that we currently have today. It's placed in 2032, uh, I think, somewhere around there. And they have, you know, self-driving cars. They have a way. Uh, that the systems are working in that movie that it is, is really worth uh, the big social trends that we see of divergence of economic status. There's a lot of things that that movie captures in a really funny and self-aware way that I think is worthwhile watching for any foresight practitioner.
2: Just going to say, I love that answer. And uh, would you like to join us for a fancy dinner at Taco Bell?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I would love to join you. <laughs> fancy dinner at Taco Bell anytime. That's, that's good. The, the other one that I'd, I'd hit on here as well, I think probably the most important movie made is um, is Shoah uh, parts one and two interviews from from Holocaust survivors uh, it's it's eight hours long together but if you ever want to remember what evil is and why it is we do our jobs, that documentary is, is essential watching.
1: Okay. So if you had a demolition man reference on your mad scientist, the convergence podcast, bingo card, you are a winner today. You know, it's weird to think about that movie as a good depiction of, of the future because it's weird to say that any Sylvester Sloan, Wesley Snipes sci-fi movie has kind of a grounded depiction of anything, but, but you are right. It doesn't, it really doesn't go crazy with the sci-fi. There's no flying cars. There's no laser fights, things like that. Uh, It really does take take a look at some of the social issues and kind of just lightly extrapolates them into what a future might look like. So that's that's a a very, very smart answer there. I like that a lot. So, Grant, we want to say thanks for coming on the show today and telling us about Air Force Futures as well as the Global Futures Report. Uh, We want to thank you for coming on and talking about foresight with us. Uh, And we hope you'll come back again one day. We hope you will continue to go out there in the Air Force and the DOD and teach people about foresight and get people thinking uh, with a futures mindset. So, again, thanks for being on the show today, Grant. Thank you all.
0: It was an absolute pleasure.
1: Thanks for listening to The Convergence. I'd like to thank our guest, Grant Rafter of Air Force Futures. If you'd like to take part in the Air Force Global Futures Report vignette writing contest, all you have to do is read the report on AF.mil, choose one of the future worlds in which to set your vignette, choose one of the six joint functions, and get writing. Remember to focus on characters and stories experiencing a dramatic or difficult event. This contest is open to everyone, and all submissions must be received by September 1st, 2023. For full details and where to send your submissions, please go to the Mad Scientist Laboratory at madsciblog.tradoc.army.mil. Finally, if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider giving us a rating or review on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you accessed it. This feedback helps us improve future episodes of The Convergence and allows us to reach a bigger and broader audience.